episode 24 of the breakdown with Birkenhoff where we'll be talking about this week's news a lot of coronavirus related news a lot of Joe Biden related news um, including his 100 day as president uh, announcement that he made uh, about two or three days ago uh, from the recording of this stream we're going to be talking about that and have many uh, comments to say on those but nobody really watches those anyway so we're not going to be spending too much time on that but we're actually going to start with some coronavirus stuff including also talking about the border crisis that is happening we did spend a decent amount of of uh last podcast talking about the border crisis and the news that's happening up there now under uh, Biden's administration and not Trump's administration. And many people were hoping for a better border under uh, Joseph R. Biden instead of Donald Trump. And we are yet to see the results really yet from it. And there's actually uh, many topics, many situations um going against Biden and his border policy, at least so far. But we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves before we... Uh, oop, I pressed the wrong screen again. We're not going to get uh, too far ahead of ourselves before we uh, continue on and start talking about our first point with Biden and his travel ban on India. So we're going to talk about that. This is by NPR here, and the headline states, U.S. will impose a new ban on travel from India as coronavirus rages. The Biden administration is set to enact a travel ban on any non-U.S. citizens or permanent residents coming to the country from India, as multiple coronavirus variants have driven India's COVID-19 outbreak to troubling new heights. The policy will take into effect starting on Tuesday, uh, May 4th, the White House said. So real quick, when you're talking about COVID news, uh, COVID's been a topic, or uh, the virus has been, I'm just going to, the virus has been a topic that has been in news for a very long time and has been talked about for a very long time now. And you even have YouTube channels like the Daily, is it not the Daily Meat, uh, but YouTubers who don't really talk about politics, but rather talk about uh, reviewing of movies or the Kill Count is the episodes that he's the most uh, famous for. But the episodes, what they make, aren't even related to coronavirus or to COVID. Yet when they, when they say the word and not even really talk about it as a political topic, like debating COVID, they just refer to COVID if there was like a virus in a movie or uh, a big amount of deaths. Just a joke, really. They, could, they get their video demonetized occasionally for just referring to the virus by name. So we know it's been a very heated topic and something that uh, YouTube uh, has been very strict on as far as referring and talking about COVID on their platform. And you could argue the 
uh, framework to why they would do so and if uh, YouTube as a platform should be able to do something like that. And many people have argued that over the past couple months and probably even closer to a year now under the uh, frameworks and ability to talk about COVID-19 and to debate the COVID-19 statistics, the COVID-19 practices, and the political news surrounding the virus. The reason I bring all of that up is referring to many people who are now going out against uh, COVID and going out against the numbers and speculating that the true deaths from COVID aren't at, aren't shouldn't have caused a mass amount of lockdowns as they did. And I could spend probably an entire episode just talking about the claims that people who go against COVID-19 make and then the claims of people who are for COVID-19 make and have like a debate type of thing between those two points and those two guidelines and the information coming from the pro and coming from the, the anti side of that debate. But there's a large speculation as to the range of COVID and if, if you do want to hear people who, who talk about it, if, if you want to hear an alternative viewpoint of COVID, not so much that you hear from mainstream news, I would suggest listening to the Tom Woods podcast. He has made an ebook full of charts that uh, kind of speculate to the range of, of the virus itself. And kind of call into question not so much the deaths from COVID, but rather the policies that the government made uh, through lockdowns were the right way to go. And he compares charts from states who are in lockdowns now and states who are not in lockdowns and compares the numbers between the two. And largely the states who are in a lockdown have higher numbers than the states that are not in lockdowns. But that's a whole separate debate, and you might be wondering why I even brought that up, really. The reason I bring that up is Joe Biden himself has been someone that is very strong on the coronavirus standing and very strong on protecting and protecting yourself and protecting others at all costs for this virus, and that includes... Uh, him always wearing a mask, even when a lot of people call it political theater, because he will wear a mask all by himself outside just to take it off when he goes to speak at the podium where everyone is to listen to Joe Biden. Now there are socially distanced and all that. It's not like they're in a crammed theater like you could say in Trump's rallies, even though Trump didn't really wear a mask, but that's a whole separate topic, whole separate debate really. But the reason I brought all that up is, is like I just said, uh, Biden is very strict on how he wants the public to view coronavirus. And I believe I even said it on last week's podcast, but Biden wants to be a president that that is set by example. He wants you to feel like you're, you would be comfortable uh, listening to him and following his lead on certain situations. And we know 100% that Biden is 100% all in for trying to stop the COVID-19 virus in the way he feels it's necessary to do so. Others have argued that his policies wouldn't solve COVID-19 
or help the situation at all, and it's just hurting uh, development of you for whatever counter-argument you want to bring up. But we know for a fact that uh, Biden is taking the virus extremely serious, and because of that, he has now implemented a travel ban on India. So we know that Biden is going to take any precaution necessary to keep coronavirus or to lower the coronavirus numbers in the United States. And that includes now this travel ban. So although I spent a long time talking not about this travel ban when that's the first topic here, I thought it was important to kind of break down the theory, I think, behind Biden. And we can get into the actual policy of what Biden has done through this travel ban uh, through reading these next couple articles. India had already been under a level 4 do not travel advisory from the State Department, which issued or updated scores of travel advisories related to the continued spread of the coronavirus last week. The new ban will take the precaution to a new level. The policy will not apply to U.S. citizens, a Biden administration official said, speaking on condition of anonymity. Lawful permanent residents and other people with expectations would also be allowed to travel from India to the U.S. As part of the existing restriction to international passengers, anyone arriving in the U.S. will still be subject to COVID-19 testing measures and must enter quarantine if they have not yet been vaccinated. So one of the more interesting things coming off of recent news surrounding COVID was that Biden has come out and said that you are now allowed, if you're with a small group of friends who have been vaccinated and you're outside, uh, you can not wear a mask. And he wanted you also to be social distanced, but the mask wasn't really necessary if you were vaccinated. And before that, Fauci and... Biden really himself were saying that even with the vaccine, you should still wear masks and take precautions. And many people argued over the effectiveness of the vaccine if you would still have to wear a mask after getting the vaccine. And the effectiveness of statistics coming off of the vaccine, although some vaccines have caused blood clotting problems and other variations off of it, I don't really think that that is really the major problem here. I just think Biden and Biden's administration is wanting to be extremely cautious when it comes to COVID-19 and take any number of precautions to hopefully stop the spread and hopefully reduce the numbers of people who get infected with the coronavirus. And if that includes having to wear a mask after a vaccine, then you might as well wear a mask after the vaccine if that keeps you safe. I'm pretty sure that that is the route that the Biden administration and Biden himself is going when tackling coronavirus. So there's been claims uh, that Fauci says one day and then uh, and then says another thing to the reverse a couple of days later, hence the reverse Uno card that this episode is named after here and a couple other topics we're going to 
you see a common theme within the administration. And just to be extra transparent, I guess you could say, all administrations done that. Many examples can be pointed to uh, Donald Trump and what he did and things he said and then did the opposite or did one thing but said another thing. The same sort of theme we have running between all presidents and really all politicians if you want to actually if you want to be accurate in that statement. But we'll continue on. The travel ban is being opposed on the advice of, sorry, the travel ban is being opposed on the advice of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, according to the White House Press Secretary Jen Paxi. In a statement issued, issued Paxi, the policy will be implemented in light of the extraordinary high COVID-19 caseloads and multiple variants circulating in the circulating in the India. Like many countries, India dealt with an initial wave of coronavirus in 2020, but is now enduring a tsunami of new cases, forcing a shortage of key resources from hospital space to oxygen tanks. Unlike some nations that have been able to avoid any spike in deaths and critical hospitalizations despite recent outbreaks, India is also seeking an unforeseen number of deaths. The country reported nearly 3,500 deaths on Friday alone, and some health professionals uh, allege that, that local officials have pressured them to under-report COVID-19 deaths, as NPR Lauren Flair reports. Testing kits are also in short supply in India, feeding speculation that the actual scale of outbreak is even larger than officials' report suggest. India has been setting and breaking world records for the most deadly reported COVID-19 cases for the past week, and its citizens and public health officials watch infection rates rise at a terrifying rate. It reached a new high mark on Friday when India's health ministry reported 386,453 new infections. Oops. Uh, don't want to click on that link. Alrighty, we're good. The rate of new cases in India has steadily eclipsed the previous world record of more than 300... 312,000 cases in the U.S. reported in early January. The U.S. remains the country with the most reported COVID-19 cases with more than 32.3 million, according to data compiled by John Hawkins University. India has reportedly nearly 18.8 million cases. The U.S. is spending several emergency relief shipments to India. The State Department said Thursday night that the first flight landed. So there we go with our first uh, article about India and the travel ban and that India is, is uh, in a wave of upwards with COVID cases and COVID deaths responding to a new mutant of a virus or a new uh, virus uh, strain, which could go to the United States, hence in theory, why uh, Biden wanted to restrict travel to and from India, despite uh, not necessarily being open borders with war travel, as many other countries have inflicted travel bans with each other to prevent uh, COVID from getting getting larger in their uh, communities. 
But once again, we see another case of uh, another country being uh, banded from it. This one is from CNN Politics. Biden administration to restrict travel from India starting Tuesday. The Biden administration has confirmed that the U.S. will restrict travel from India starting on Tuesday. On the device of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the administration will restrict travel from India starting immediately, White House Press Secretary said, uh, Secretary Jim Paxi said in a statement on Friday. The policy will be implemented in light of an extraordinary high COVID-19 caseload and multiple variants circulating in India. The policy will take effect on Tuesday, May 4th. The administration will issue a 212F order restricting entry into the U.S. for foreign nations who have been in India within the previous 14 days. A source familiar with the move said airlines have been told of the decision. Well, duh, I mean, okay, that's stupid, but yes, of course they're going to be told. Anyway, the policy will not apply to American citizens. Lawful permanent residents are other people who other people with exemptions, as well as international travelers, individuals who fit that criteria, uh, traveling from India must still test negative prior to leaving the country. Quarantine if they have not been vaccinated and test negative again upon re-entering the U.S. from India. The restrictions also do not apply to humanitarian workers. The White House informed congressional offices on Friday of the move. We see their numbers again. Uh, we'll read some numbers we haven't heard. So, a day before the U.S. upcoming travel restrictions on India were announced, India's national airline, Air India, has said it was planning to reintroduce near-pre-pandemic frequency of direct flights to the U.S. in the first half of May. A number of countries, including the United Kingdom, France, Italy, and Canada, have placed travel restrictions ranging from quarantines to outright bans on travel from India. On Wednesday, the World Health Organization said that India accounted for 38% of the global coronavirus cases recorded in the week leading up to April 25th. India launched its vaccination drive on January 16th and will open up vaccinations to everyone above the age of 18 on Saturday, but some states have enacted that they will not be ready for the vaccination rollout. Municipal administration also announced the suspension of all COVID-19 vaccinations across the city Tuesday evening due to a shortage. The Indian government on Friday invoked in special provisions and granted emergency financial powers to armed forces to combat the second wave of COVID-19 in the country. The country's defense minister... Uh, announced on Twitter. Earlier this week, Biden pledged the Indian Prime Minister that the United States would provide a range of emergency assistance, including oxygen-related supplies, vaccine materials, and therapeutics. So, one of the big things with India is their population size and average living conditions of uh, Indian Yes, there is a lot of poverty in the United States. Yes, there is a lot of people that are under the uh, poverty line that the United States has for all their statistics when uh, gathering that data. But there's a lot more 
people who would better fit the definition of poverty in India than fit the definition of poverty in the United States. In other words, there's a lot of people in India and there's a lot of people living a lot worse than the average person in the United States. And because of that and living conditions, India was very acceptable to a mass spread of COVID. And we have seen their numbers being relatively high throughout the coronavirus uh, epidemic here. But we're seeing a spike in numbers and we're seeing an administration that is more than willing to help through giving oxygen related supplies and vaccine materials, but also is more than willing to restrict travel like many other major countries so that they don't get uh, more infected with the coronavirus through uh, travel bans and travel restrictions. Still allowing a certain few people to travel in and out, especially if they seek humanitarian and give supplies that are necessary. I believe one of the vaccines also uh, was largely researched in India and a large percentage of that vaccine came to the United States and other more uh, Western countries compared to India itself. But I'm not 100% certain on that. She so would definitely have to uh, make sure of that fact before... Yeah, I'm not I'm not positive, but I believe one of them was largely researched because I remember somebody talking about that. But we're going to be listening to a uh, news story coming out of India about this uh, very topic. And I wanted to play this just so we could get the average perspective of what is happening in India from uh, this news outlet. Devastated by the second wave of COVID-19. India has finally liberalized its inoculation drive, but with shortage of shots and population aplenty, India's global vaccine leadership is facing a challenge at home. India is suffering a critical shortage of raw materials necessary to make vaccines and to ramp up production of COVID-19 vaccines being made in India. But at the time of crisis, Washington has refused to comment on lifting the ongoing ban on the export of vaccine raw materials to India. In the latest press briefing of the U.S. The State Department spokesperson, Jalina Porter, had no answers on the export embargo. When asked if there was any update on America's position on vaccine raw materials, Jalina Porter said, and I quote, we don't have any specific update to raw materials, but we'll just reiterate that we understand that the COVID situation in India remains a global concern, unquote. India is the biggest vaccine maker in the world, but to make vaccines, you need raw materials, and most of it comes from the United States. But America has banned the export of these items back in February. Joe Biden invoked the U.S. Defense Production Act. This is a wartime law. It, divert, it diverted all resources to America's vaccine production, so none of it was available for export. Now, Washington insists there is no explicit embargo, but the supply of 35 key ingredients has been disrupted. India has raised this issue multiple times with the U.S. Ambassador Taranjit Singh Sandhu flagged it as soon as Biden invoked the act. Foreign Minister S. Jashankar raised it during his phone call with Antony Blinken. 
But the American response has been the same. Joe Biden says he understands India's needs, and same has been the response of the White House press secretary and the State Department. America understands India's situation, but can't help by lifting an embargo on the export of raw materials for life-saving vaccines to India. So there we heard it from the news story coming out of an India news network itself. So they have their frustrations with the U.S. government and Biden administration off of the coronavirus and what the uh, United States uh, is doing in relation to uh, the coronavirus. And she said it there herself in the video as well about the distribution of vaccines and being one of the largest uh, vaccine makers of many of the vaccines that are coming to the United States. And I know that a lot of people are frustrated with the uh, U.S. for taking a lot of vaccines and not really uh, distributing them out uh, themselves. So in other words, they're taking more vaccines than they really should so that India itself and other countries still have access to vaccines that maybe are more needed because of living conditions or population size or whatever statistic you want to throw to support that opinion. But there is a large hints of Indian frustration at the United States for saying one thing but not really doing the doing what they said or not really helping or not really being somebody that uh, the Indian government and Indian people need because if you say that you're going to help through doing A, B, or C and you don't do A, B, or C there's a lot of frustration coming out of that and every government falls into that trap and every president falls into that trap. But once again, it goes back to the reverse Uno card, where Biden is more than willing to say that he is going to do something and doesn't do it. And we see that with the most recent story about vaccine and through raw materials to India and the effort of travel restrictions in and out of India so that we don't get more infected, but yet India is still at the mercy of the virus. So a lot of people are very frustrated with that. But we have this CNN article that kind of puts what's happening, the numbers of India, in a little bit more of a perspective. Excuse me. One second. I thought I was going to sneeze there, but turns out I didn't need to. Alright. So this is the first article coming out of the United States. And then we're going to update it here. Because I'm on one of their CNN articles that refreshes as a new story comes. So once I refresh it, I'm going to get uh, more recent articles. But the last time I looked at this page, this was the last thing that popped up. And relating to what Biden said through direct aid. Because it appears that they're at least making an effort. The only question is how much of an effort are they making? And is it going to be a big enough effort to actually help India? And to actually help their cases, to help their numbers, to help the spread, to reduce COVID in India? That is the major question off of this, but we'll go ahead and read what this first article says. The first U.S. COVID-19 relief supply arrives in India. 
The U.S. plane carrying shipments of COVID-19 in India located in Delhi this morning. India is battling a deepening, de- deepening coronavirus cases, coronavirus uh, crisis. New cases were reported on Thursday, a new global record. According to figures released by the county's health ministry, the county also reported 3,645 deaths. The highest number of COVID-19 deaths in the country uh, has reported in a single day. Those USA shipments the first day in the Biden administration left Travis Air Force Base in California abroad a U.S. Air Force aircraft on Wednesday. Another shipment will leave Travis Air Force Base on Friday with PPE, oxygen, test kits, and masks, as Joe Biden said, and Jim Paxi said, uh, the press secretary for Biden said that they were going to distribute aid through those methods. Like I said already, the question is how much aid are they going to distribute, and if that is really going to help, and if restricting travel is also going to help India's case, or help the United States case with reducing numbers. We have yet to see that, but you can kind of see from Biden's perspective in the way Biden thinks why the Biden administration would decide to inflict a travel ban but still try to gesture a hand to India so that it looks like the United States is actually doing something good to reduce the COVID cases around the world and most importantly in India. The question is, is it enough aid as I've already said? Well, we're going to go ahead and refresh this page so we can get the most recent article off of the United States and India with their travel bans and what the United States plans to do. We wait for it to refresh here. Uh, I'm going to do something real quick while I do that. I'll be interested to hear what you guys think about all of this because the uh, Biden's administration is still fairly young. We're still within 100 days of the Biden administration. Actually, by the time this recording gets released to uh, the podcast format, when y'all will be watching the, the podcast on Apple or wherever you choose to watch it, there's probably already going to be uh, past Biden's 100 days as president of the United States of America. But all that being said, I still think it's important to wonder about uh, the Biden administration so far. And Biden with COVID appears to be doing a very uh, good job if you are for restrictions and if you think that uh, more vaccine distributions and stricter travel and uh, yeah is going to help. And largely if you believe in statistics, which you should, that looks like there are the results coming from it. The only question is how much of a cost is it to Americans and the way Americans like to live? Because let's face it, Americans don't really like to be locked up in their house. (laughs) And uh, you could argue over Uh, if the lockdowns were absolutely necessary or not when it comes to statistics. But once again, that goes back to what you choose to believe and ultimately your values of COVID and the perspective you have with trying to solve something like the coronavirus pandemic we were in this past year or so. But now that this has refreshed, we'll read the most uh, recent article. Oops, here we go. This most recent one is WHO Chief Scientist says 
and adequate vaccine access is still far away. The World Health Organization is still far away from its goal of adequate vaccine access and supplies sent to COVAX, or not as much as we would like. According to the World Health Organization chief scientist, and I don't know how to say her name, during a panel discussion hosted by Physicians for Human Rights Friday, she said that the issue has been that the supply of vaccines was all pre-booked by a handful of countries. She said who hoped contributions would provide in the second half of the year. Again, this goes back to what I was theorizing a little bit earlier, and I thought was true. But from this statement by the WHO director herself and other statements that are coming more to mind uh, with what I said earlier... The United States and other Western countries booked a ton of these vaccines to get to the public, and Biden has pushed a huge percentage of population or vaccine distribution. In other words, he wants every American to have the vaccine, uh, and I think they're opening it to youth now. I know that at my college, you can book to get a vaccine through the college uh, health services or whatever the company is that they have uh, running this vaccine. But the big thing is for the average American, the average citizen in the United States, uh, there's a big push to get everybody vaccinated, even if you are under, let's say, uh, the college age or at the college age. A big push to get every American vaccinated. And, of course, the senior citizens and the people who are at risk to the vaccine. Because there is a percentage of people uh, for coronavirus that uh, have to rely on other people's uh, usage of a vaccine because they are not able to have a vaccine themselves. Now the question you could ask once again is how reliable are the vaccines and are the vaccines actually going to help? Why do we have to wear a mask after the vaccine? But again, I think I've already kind of told you my perspective on that. It's hard to say right now if everything is all useful or not and why you would have to wear a mask after the vaccine but like I said again I think it's just taking more precautions and if a vaccine is going to help then you're willing to take the vaccine then go ahead and take the vaccine but if you're not willing to take the vaccine I don't necessarily think it should be forced on you either I just want to throw that out there as well. But uh, the big issue here is that these countries like the United States and other Western countries have booked or stocked a whole bunch of these vaccines through distribution and didn't really leave very much to the country or to one of the countries like India who was producing this vaccine. But we'll go ahead and read what she has to say. COVAX is run by a coalition that includes WHO and the vaccine alliance known as Gavi. Is funded by donations from government, multilateral institutions, and foundations. Its mission is to buy coronavirus vaccines in bulk and send them to poor nations that can't complete with wealthy countries in securing contracts with the major drug companies. But while COVAX is trying to address the issue of access, access to vaccines remains inadequable. Uh, of the 1 billion vaccine doses administered worldwide, 80% of the high and upper middle income countries uh, 
about one in four or five people in high-income countries across Europe, across North America, have gotten some vaccine. For lower-income countries, it's less than 100%, she told the panel. So in other words, poor countries are countries with are more at risk to the average citizen getting COVID. They don't have these vaccines. And if you believe the vaccines work, then you can obviously see how uh, many people view the United States and other Western countries as being very greedy for trying to get all the vaccines they can and not leaving any for countries that are probably more in need of the vaccine itself. And this is kind of what India's point is to uh, America, to the news, and to the perspective of their problem with COVID-19 now and why you are seeing a spike. As we wait for our next article to load up here, we'll get into our next story. After I make sure we don't have an autoplay. Alright, we look good. Art is, this company loves to do autoplays with their articles. So I always get a little bit jittery when I load up the page. <laughs> anyway, let's move this so you can actually read it if you're watching live. Alrighty, we're looking good. We'll stop it there. Yep, alrighty, so we'll go ahead and read this article from CBS News about a story that happened in uh, Israel. Dozens killed, including four Americans, in stampede at a Jewish religious festival in Israel. A stampede at a religious festival attended by tens of thousands of ultra-Orthodox Jews in northern Israel killed at least 45 people and injured about 150 early Friday, medical officials said. It was one of the country's deadliest civilian disasters. The Consulate General of Israel in New York on Friday confirmed that four, that four of the dead were U.S. citizens. It said in a statement that it was working with families of all those who died and were injured to enter Israel as easily and quickly as possible. The stampede began when large numbers of people throttled a narrow tunnel-like passage during an event according to witness and video footage. People began falling on top of each other near the end of the walkway as they descended slippery metal stairs, witnesses said. One of the injured told the Israel public broadcaster Can that a crush of the people trying to descend the mountain caused a general bad limb on a slippery metal slope followed by stairs. Nobody managed to halt, he said from a hospital bed. I saw one after the other fall. Video footage showed large numbers of people, most of them black, black lad, ultra-orthodox man, Black clad, black clad, ultra-Orthodox man, squeezed by the tunnel, initial reports and witnesses said police barricades had prevented people from exiting quickly. The stampede occurred during the celebrations of Lag Banar at Mount Mormon, the first mass religious gathering to be held legally since Israel lifted nearly all restrictions related to coronavirus pandemic. The country has been, uh, been cases plummet since launching one of the world's most successful vaccination campaigns late last year. That's what I was just going to say. Israel was one of the earliest major countries, our major nation, 
to implement a mass use of a vaccine. I don't exactly know how they did it, so I don't want to say something that is wrong, but I know that the majority of their population very fast got the vaccine, and their distribution of the vaccine, and the percentage of, of their population at risk, and just average percentage of the population were both very high numbers, and a big reason why Israel... Uh, was in the news for many, many months about their vaccine distribution and techniques at resulting for less COVID cases in Israel and so on. So you obviously see that this was at a mass event for religious reasons and Israel being a highly religious country because of many things that uh, exist in Israel for many different uh, religions being uh, Muslim, Christianity, and probably some others that I'm not as much aware of. But you can see that uh, why there would be so many people when they were restricted from being able to uh, go to temples or being able to go to religious locations in Israel. Now, why there was a mass stampede and what happened, uh, it, how do I want to say this? Why did it happen? Like, what caused it? And, and then what resulted from the cause of it is kind of the question that is being talked about now. We'll go to our next article that is also talking about this event by uh, the New York Times. Stampede that Israel religious celebration kills at least 45 people. A stampede early Friday at the mountainside religious uh, celebration in Israel that drew... Uh, at least 45 people dead and scores more injured. By some estimates, about 100,000 people were crammed together last Thursday to celebrate a holiday on Mount Mermin in the northern Israel, despite warnings from authorities about the risk of COVID-19 transmission. The deadly crash began at 1 a.m. on Friday as celebrants began to pour out a section of a compound where festivals were were being held. The death toll of 45 released later by Health Ministry made it one of the worst civilian disasters in Israel's history. Megan David Adam, the National Avalanche Service, said earlier Friday that he had treated 150 injured people. It, po it posted a video on Twitter that showed a fleet of ambulance ambulances Red siren flashes waiting to evacuate the wounded. A terrible disaster, Prime Minister Benjamin said. Jake Sullivan, President Biden's National Security Advisor and the European Union Ambassador, offered condolences on Twitter to the families of the victims. Ultra-Orthodox Jews traditionally gather at Mount Mermin for the holiday of Lagba Bagmore to dance and make bonfires among the tomb of a prominent rabbi from Inquinity. Critics have warned for years that the site's pathy infrastructure cannot safety handle large crowds. A video said to have been taken right before the stampede on Friday showed a mass amount of people in an elastic celebration moving in unison to the music. Early accounts of what led to the stampede varied. Initial reports indicated that a grandstand had collapsed, but as details emerged, it appeared that the crash had occurred after celebrants slipped on stone steps leading into a narrow passageway with metal floored slope, setting off what the news site Janet described as a human avalanche. 
So if that case were to be true, then a mass amount of people slipping and following into each other cause more people to fall back on each other, cause more people to fall back on each other, cause more people to fall back on each other, and nobody could stop it because of the loose bricks and metal flooring and resulted in injuries and uh, some deaths from the human avalanche, as the New York Times and the uh, content creator put there. One of the injured said that the slope had become slippery from spilled water and grape juice. For some reason, there was a sudden pressure at the point and people stopped, but more people kept coming down. Uh, speaking from the hospital, this was a victim. People were not breathing. I remember hundreds of people screaming, I can't breathe. Some rescue, rescue workers attributed the tragedy to sheer volume of people who had gathered at Mount Hermon. Television images from the scene showed shoes, hats, plastic bottles, and other debris littering the passageway after it was evacuated. A metal handrail meant to help people steady themselves as they walked down the slippery slopes has collapsed. So it also appears to be poor construction of the building itself or the event itself on Mount Mormon. And uh, probably improper safety measures are in that first article, maybe proper safety measures. But since there was too much people uh, and they exceeded the capacity limit, uh, there could have resulted from injuries because of that as well. And that's why capacity limits exist and why proper safety measures exist to prevent uh Freak accidents, you could say, are events like this from happening and resulting in deaths and injuries of many people because of uh, religious freedom or because of mass gathering of any reason for uh, that to happen. But it, but that was kind of I thought a a a tragic story uh, about people who were probably more than likely super happy to now be able to uh, go back to worshiping, go back to worshiping their God, go back to religious freedom, go back to something that they were probably able to do freely before COVID-19. And because of that, and any number of reasons that I said, or maybe all the reasons combined, it resulted in something bad happening from something good. And you can definitely take, like they said in that first article we read about, I think it was CNN, if I remember right. They said that there was health officials warning of an, a potential increase of coronavirus from over 100,000 100, estimate that we just read about. Uh, and that many people in such a small space could ultimately result in people getting COVID and maybe a spread of COVID-19 in the country once again or a spike in cases in the country once again because of it. But once again, you could argue on that point as well. I just thought it was kind of a, a tragic story for people that were probably extremely happy to be able to do something that they used to were able to do without any problem. Now we'll get into the major story I wanted to talk about. We, it may not be the longest topic of today's podcast, just depending on how much I want to say about it. But we're once again going to be talking about Biden's border and the news that is coming from Biden. Uh, most importantly, a protest against Biden 
uh, about his administration and his policies and his handling of the border off of Trump. Many people have argued or suggested that the way Trump dealt with the border and the crisis uh, made uh, Biden's um, issues a lot higher because there was so much things to fix, so much things to resolve, and Biden's uh, policy and how he wants to handle the border is extremely different compared to, uh, compared to uh, Donald Trump. Handling of the border and his policies implemented and whatnot. So many people say that that's the problem. But long story short, Biden is now the person being talked about and the person that has to fix this issue of border security. So it's no longer Trump's fault anymore. Yet you keep hearing about Trump and the problems of the border, like suggested by this article. Biden stopped building Trump's wall. Here's what it looks like now. And that's another problem. They're going to be totally talking about uh, an incomplete border wall. Trump wanted to be able to build a full border wall and a mass border wall in height and in uh, security. And since Biden stopped construction on that wall, it's obviously left many holes to exist where there is no wall and illegal immigrants uh, can still uh, get through without uh, problems of the average Border, I guess you could say. But we'll read what they have to say about it. Once there was bustling construction zone here, now it's a ghost town frozen in time. Heavy machinery is parked and motionless. Stacks of steel uh, borelays stretch as far as the eye can see. The Trump administration built more than 450 miles of fencing along the U.S.-Mexico border, including hundreds of miles of replacement fencing and uh, 52 miles of construction uh, where there were no borders before. The wall became a focal point of his presidency, a staging ground for political rallies, and a symbol of the administration's controversial immigration crackdowns. On the campaign trail, President Biden vowed not to build another foot, and he has swiftly halted construction once he became president. A big question still hasn't been answered month into presidency. What will happen where the construction wall, uh, where the construction was underway? Excuse me. Uh, fencing currently covers 706 miles of the 1,954-mile U.S.-Mexico border. We have recently visited locations on the stretch where the wall construction had started, but has been paused since Biden became president. So far, the new administration isn't saying what will happen in any of those places, but people who live and work in the area have a lot to say about what they want to see, and here's what they here's what they want. Here, this is a weird sentence. Here's what we saw and what they told us. I don't know why I had a problem turning with that one. The first stop was the view from the end of the road. It's about as far as the border wall construction got about 15 miles east of the Nogales, Arizona, in the Pathogen Mountains. As you see, the path covered through a pristine desert landscape. 
It's a scene that's far too familiar for environmental activists. A former park ranger, he spent the last four years campaigning against the border wall in these remote areas of Arizona. It's kind of a bizarre scene because we have got this huge amount of devastation, this massive swath of land. It's been blasted open and nobody knows what's going to happen next. So once again, you're having the whole issue uh, between presidency, uh, two drastic viewpoints on the border, and it's probably why both presidents were part were popular for their policy. Like I suggested on last week's policy, having a harsh stance on border is going to make you very popular. Having a very open stance is also going to make you extremely popular. If you're somewhere in the middle, that's maybe where the mass amount of Americans are when it comes to border security, but it's just going to make you appear average when you're talking about the border. So having these two very extreme stances makes you more popular and makes you more interesting as a candidate. So we went from one policy under Trump of making a complete border wall and border security, high security, to a president that doesn't want any of that. So now you have to bring up the question like this environmental activist is talking about and many other people have brought up, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen with the the pathways that were made to start construction uh, and in some cases, the fencing posts that are set up, but no wall is there. What's going to happen? Customs and Border Protection has said that the border wall projects went through environmental stewardship plans to analyze and minimize the environmental impact, including studies of how wildlife may be affected by the projects. We want to see those contracts canceled and we want to see the remaining billions of dollars left in those contracts used to restore and renovate this beautiful landscape, said the environmental activist. So he doesn't want any part of this wall because of the environmental impact it has on Arizona and all of the lands that the wall uh, went through. Their stop two was the tire trucks in the dirt, but no activity can be found. So, okay, this is this is interesting. This is interesting because what they're doing here is talking about stops from a very political perspective. So instead of saying like we're at the Colorado National Memorial in Arizona next to the Palador Mountain or whatever. I'm not even sure Palador is on the border. Uh, but long story short, instead of saying a location that many people could reference when you talk about the border, they're just making it drastic and say the tire marks left in the dirt. Where are we? The tire marks. That is where we are. Like, just say a location. Like, don't you don't have to make something that's this political even more political. Just give us a location and talk about what you want. Anyway. Now that the roads are blocked off, so we can't get close enough to see what they built, but this is much clearer. The landscape in the area has already changed dramatically. Uh, mountains and half-built wall is happening. Step 4 is seen from one sheriff calls foolish. We'll read this one to see what it has to say. In Del Rio, Texas, Valverde, Valverde Verde, Verde, County Sheriff Joe French, Frank Martinez took us to what supposed to be a two-mile stretch of border wall. So far, only a hundred yards have been built. Construction equipment is still on site. Deep trenches are dug out. About January the 24th, everything stopped. To me, it's just 
just crazy. You can still, that's Frank, by the way. You can still see smaller fences that used to guard the stretch of border and that the tr that the trick Martinez says, crime bulgers and le le theft went down as the structure uh, smuggling activity and gave Border Patrol agents more time to respond. But now it's just a new structure. A tower 30-foot fence is half-built. The sheriff hopes it will be finished. So he thinks the idea of just stopping construction and not finishing it doesn't make sense because the construction is already paid for, so you might as well just finish it. So instead of just halting border security uh, while there's construction, go ahead and finish the construction that is easier to finish and can be finished now, such as this fence that has uh, like 20 or whatever miles that they said to go in construction. Go ahead and finish that, then stop construction. Don't approve any more construction products for the border just finish what you have that's kind of what his whole stance is and i can't see what he's also talking about uh many people might have the environmental aspect that we first read about but uh i would have to look more into that i, I can kind of see I can honestly see more of what the sheriff was talking about. Just go ahead and finish the construction that is already close to being finished. Then just don't stop. Don't uh, start anymore. There's no sense to just completely stopping construction like that. But once again, you could take uh, a different stance when it comes to the border. And there's many other uh, stances to be made. Now, this was the protest I was mentioning earlier. So Joe Biden was at a rally, rally was at a uh, rally, rally somewhat uh, not too long ago. Let's put it that way. He was at a rally not too long ago, and he got uh, surrounded by protesters uh, about border security and his stances and kids being in cages and improper treatment at the border and just. All of their claims about that. So you have people who you would tend to think are more on Biden's side or likely to support Biden more, uh, yet they're still very frustrated at Biden's policies of the border security. This may not be super. Um, this may not be easy to hear because there is a lot of background noise in it. But we'll play a little bit of it just to get kind of the main uh, perspective of what's going on. We'll give you a microphone. Folks. Folks, y'all know what they're talking about. There should be no private prisons, period. None, period. That's what they're talking about. Private detention centers. They should not exist. And we are working to close all of them. So, folks, look. So, we just get kind of a little bit of a taste about Biden's approach and what the people are kind of saying through ending detention centers at the border and ending uh, private prisons as a whole implement or a whole uh, policy standard for uh, talking about uh, Biden's policies and Biden's administration and whatnot. I hope that that video did play. I was noticing on my audio mixer here, where I'm able to see the inputs and whatnot, that it didn't look like the, the video was picking up. So I'll have to make sure I check that later. 
but hopefully you were able to hear it. If not, they were basically just saying, in detention now, in detention now, in detention now. I voted for you. Why are you doing this? Blah, 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 blah. Just claims like this. And eventually it looked like Secret Service or just police in general uh, removed those people from the protest. Biden lays border crisis on Trump's admin's refusal to cooperate. President Joe Biden blamed the Trump administration for ongoing problems at the U.S.-Mexico border, citing its failure to cooperate and share critical information during the, president, during the presidential transition period. In an exclusive interview that aired Friday with Today's show, Co-author Craig Malvin said that the Biden administration inherited one of the god-awful mess at the border from former President Donald Trump. He said it's the result of failure to have real transitional corporation, uh, cooperation from the last administration like every other administration has done. Like I said at the beginning of this, this is Biden's reverse Uno card. He is wanting to blame Donald Trump for the problems that he has with the border. And some of it is probably Donald Trump's uh, problem and what Donald Trump left Biden because they are on two completely opposite perspectives of border and what they want to implement and how they want to see change and Biden being a much more open border compared to Donald Trump who was definitely not an open border. So once again, you have that as being something that we already kind of brought up and talked about uh, for their border security. But the idea that you can just blame Donald Trump and it's all Donald Trump's fault and you don't take any blame for what's happening now is obviously not true either. So you can't just keep playing the same card and expect the same results and expect people to still believe you. After the November election, Biden said that he had dispatched his transitional team to meet with officials leading the major departments across the government. The two departments that didn't give us us access to virtually anything were the Immigration and Defense Department, said Biden, who whether that his team didn't know until he was sworn into office that Trump had fired many people from the departments and they were understaffed considerably. That's a bullshit statement. You know that Biden, uh, that Trump uh, fired so many people. And I think it doesn't take a rocket science to know that before uh, Donald Trump uh, left office that many people were going to quit their job. You even saw that. I forget who the person was, but she was a high person in Trump's cabinet, I believe, even. And she went ahead and decided to basically retire from the position early, even before Donald uh, uh, Donald Trump left office as, uh, officially as president. So once again, that statement's just complete nonsense. We don't know yet where those kids are, he said. We are trying like hell to figure out what happened. What happened to that child when he got separated? Where did they go? Where are they? In fact, pro bono lawyers in Biden's Toots task force uh, to Ren and my families have struggled to locate some of the parents who were separated, not their children. But those lawyers say many parents are in Central America and ready to be un- reunited once their Biden administration makes good on its promise to bring them back to the United States to be with their children. During the wide-ranging interview conducted uh, Thursday, the White House Biden 
was also asked about comments on race made by Tim Scott of South Carolina and the official Republican response to the president's first address to Congress. So we're going to get to that first address here in a little bit. The lone black Republican senator said he expected, or sorry, he experienced the pain of discrimination, but urged viewers to hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. No, I don't think that America people are racist. This is his response. But I think after 400 years, African Americans have been left in a position where they are far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, in terms of opportunity, Biden said. And I don't think America's racist, but I think the overhang from all of the Jim Crow and before the slavery have, ha have had a cost and we have to deal with it. We've talked about this before, about if America is racist or not. Even on Anna Volta's show, or my show I share with Anna Volta, is getting the answers that we we, talk, we have every Thursday on alternating channels. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and give a shout-out mid-episode here. <laughs> anyway, uh, we talked about uh, America and what we thought on, uh, on all that. And ultimately, I don't have too many other things to uh, say off of that. So yeah, that's Biden's response to that. But you also have to remember that many of Biden's policies, ha people have came out and said were ultimately uh, very racist and had uh, major problems to them, such as his uh, war on drugs that he was very harsh on and he implemented a policy that has put a huge amount of minorities in prison compared to whites, even when you... Uh, even when you change for population size of each of uh, each of the populations. In other words, even when you adjust for how many whites there are compared to how many blacks there are and still come up with statistic numbers from that, you still have a lot more blacks in percentage who are going to prison for lower crimes than there was before. And it is a major problem in people who are in uh, the justice reform system have always kind of talked about that. And I think that's something that should be mentioned many times because there, that is a huge problem. Uh, and Biden was the person who made that bill and uh, was large part of to why many people disliked Biden in his time in the Congress and in the Senate. This next thing is uh, just kind of talking about the U.S. Census data. This is kind of a smaller topic. Uh, I have two kind of smaller topics, and we'll get to our uh, last main topic about his uh, Senate address. But there was a talk about the census data, and before the 2020 census data was released and how many representatives each state was going to gain or lose, there was a lot of claims made by people that wanted to stress to make sure that the census data for 2020 wasn't going to have any racial motivations or any political bias because it's a census data and it shouldn't have any sort of racial bias or any bias really at all because it should just simply represent who the people are and how many people there are in each state and therefore get a statistical analysis of being able to now figure out how many people should be uh, representative by their uh, senators or by their representatives. 
And long story short, Texas gained a few seats and a couple other states gained some seats. California lost a seat. Pennsylvania lost a seat. New York lost a seat. Illinois lost a seat. Uh, Ohio lost a seat. States gaining two seats are Texas. States gaining one seat is North Carolina, Florida, Colorado, uh, Oregon, and Minnesota, if I'm reading that right. My geography isn't always the best. (laughs) So that's kind of the results that were coming from off of the census data. But once again, there are some claims made about the census data and uh, political interference within the census data as Fox News puts it here. And we're going to read about that. More than a dozen House Republicans Friday are questioning the Commerce Secretary Gina on whether there was any political interference in the final census numbers used to decide how many House members each state will get for the coming decade. And this is extremely important because being represented by your House members and being equally represented is a huge way to be able to ensure that the government is working as a whole and more importantly working for you as a member of that state. So if there is adjusting of numbers or if there is political bias it definitely needs to be brought up and talked about because there shouldn't be this political bias when it comes to something that should 100% just be statistics and just be numbers. The Republican House members cited gaps between the number of House seats some right-leaning I don't think those two videos were going to play. I just had a memory. Well, I'll have to either add those videos or figure out something. But yeah, I don't think those two videos y'all were able to hear actually. But it's okay. I'll fix that later. Anyway, I just had something just clicked right in my mind and I adjusted my settings. So we should be able to hear... The next video I have up in today's podcast. But unfortunately, I don't think those other two videos were probably going to be able to be heard. But anyway, we'll continue on with this article. The Republican House members cited gaps between the number of House seats some right-leaning states were projected to gain, or some left-leaning states were projected to lose, and the final results announced this week. They told her that the overseeing the census bureau that they have questions about the mythology and the role that Biden White House may have played in releasing these numbers. The appointment population results released by the, the census bureau are strikingly different from the population evaluation estimates released just a month ago on December 22, 2020. The GOP members wrote, remarkably, the difference is benefit traditional blue states which gained population compared to the estimates over red states which which tended to lose population compared to the estimates. They added, for example, New York was estimated to have a population of nineteen but was attributed an appointment population much greater, that of twenty 
uh, 1,215,751, a difference of nearly 900,000 individuals. Likewise, states such as New Jersey and Illinois experienced a large population increase of hundreds of thousands of individuals compared to the December estimates, while states such as Arizona, Florida, and Texas experienced large decreases from the December estimates. The House Republicans letter was first high-profile allegation that Biden administration may have interfered with the census, but there is no evidence besides the departure of the final numbers from the December estimates to indicate it did. And it lists the senators or representatives who are making those claims, one of them being Tim Jordan, who I thought was interesting, and Republican uh, Texas uh, Ralph Norman and a few others, but... I thought that that was kind of interesting because, as I said at the very beginning, census data should pretty much be just facts and nothing else because it is just statistics and it does have a big impact to make sure that the United States as a whole is represented and, more importantly, you as a member of that state are equally represented by the amount of representatives you have on the seat and everything. This article was by the Minnesota, and I just have it in there. It's going to be in the show notes. I'm not going to read it. I just thought it was interesting to get a perspective of kind of like a local newspaper, it looks like, or a local uh, blog, because newspapers don't really exist anymore, of Minnesota, and they're uh, gaining the seat and blaming New uh, or because of New York. Anyway, I just have... I thought it was an interesting read, but I didn't think it was interesting enough to read here on here on our podcast. We'll take a quick drink and then we'll get into our next topic here. And this is our last topic before, or this is our last uh, topic before the main topic that we are going to be ending uh, today's podcast on. So California is in the middle of a vote before 2022 because of many people signing the petition to try to get rid of their governor. And many people have put in their hat for trying to run for governor in the uh, recall election. And some of the people are politician-y names and others are more... uh, are more controversial names, is I guess the polite way to put this. And one of those more controversial names is Kathleen Jenners. She announced that she is going to run for as the Republican candidate to lead California. And this is by Vox News. And the headline kind of points to a lot of people in their views of this. Trans people are derating Kathleen Jenners' run for governor. We'll go on and read this article. It was late June 2015 when I asked my mom a question that carried much more weight than she perhaps realized at the time. Struggling with the due burdens of gender dysphoria and the closet, I asked her what she thought of Kathleen Jenner's. I had been struggling to read. Let's get into what she said here. (laughs) 
Jennifer did speak out publicly on rare occasions criticizing Trump over his ban on trans military service and attacks on trans healthcare access. In August 2018, in an interview with Verity, she claimed she was working on fighting back against transphobic conservative politics qu quietly through back channels. I don't do a lot of media. I don't want to see, ev see everywhere. She told Verity, today I am very politically involved. Nobody really knows it. I do it very quietly because I have been so criticized by the liberal side and the media. I can't get more things done if I don't stick my nose into everything publicly. Now Jennifer isn't keeping her politics out of the public eye. She has thrown her hat in the ring for the California recall race in a bid to replace Galvin Newsom as the state's chief executive. She filed paperwork as the Republican candidate on January, or sorry, on April 23rd and has teamed up with the former Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale. Well, California is one of the most supportive states for LGBTQ people, it is a majority Democrat, so it's not clear whom exactly Jennifer's Ron is supposed to appeal. Her trans identity may hold her back to attracting voters from hardcore Trump supporters in the state, too. If her base is trans-sympathetic Republicans, well, that's not 51%. Jim Newton, a former LA Times reporter who's now an editor at Blueprint, a, L a UCLA sponsored public policy magazine in California told Vox, but it's a race if there aren't enough candidates and they divide up the vote enough ways, she could win with a lot less than that. Jennifer's policies and controversial existence as a self-professed trans advocate has long put trans Americans in a double blind, forcing them to defend her from transphobic attacks while deploring her political views and her Gerber natural run, however successful, is applying those tensions once again. Caitlyn Jenner's politics. In 2016, the hot political culture was over. Bathroom, specifically trans people in bathrooms, North Carolina just passed HB2, the bathroom bill. In the middle of all that, it was the midst of a heated presidential campaign. Jennifer posted a short video to social media showing her emerging form of emerging from a woman's bathroom in the Trump Tower. And I'm going to go ahead and play that video real shortly here. Oh my god, a trans woman in New York. I gotta take the key. Anyway, um, oh my god, a Trump International. Oh my god, a trans woman in New York. I gotta take the key. Anyway, um, oh my god, a Trump International Hotel. I love this. Okay, last week, Donald Trump said I could take a pee anywhere in a Trump facility, so I am going to go take a pee in the ladies' room. Putting Trump to the test, today Caitlyn Jenner stepped into the murky world of U.S. election politics when she posted this video on Facebook. And not anymore. It all started last week when Republican front... So once again, we kind of get it, but just a kind of a cringy video that she was probably just trying to get some sympathy or some support from the trans community, community excuse me, and it kind of just comes across as more cringe than anything else. So again, I just thought that was kind of funny and more of a, a joking thing, but we're going to read a little bit more before we get into our next topic. 
The interference she was trying to illustrate was clear. Donald Trump supporters, trans people, because she would use the woman's room in his building. Left, instead, it was Trump was, and still is, required by New York City law to let trans people use the bathroom, blah, 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 blah. Jennifer's political nevity became apparent on her 2015-2016 reality show, I Am Cat which followed her and a group of trans activists, intellectuals, and celebrities as they traveled the county, or sorry, traveled the country meeting with groups of trans people. A frustrating political discussion broke out between Jennifer and other trans women on the show, with Jennifer insisting Republicans don't care about attacking trans people even as conservative states moved on bathroom legislation. Despite forewarning from another Around the trans community, Jennifer continued to claim Trump and the Republican Party supported trans people. Trump became perhaps the most actively anti-trans president in the United States history, rolling back non-discrimination protections and health care, banning trans people from the military, blah, 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 blah. We know what Trump did with all that. And then it goes on to talk about her uh, not being trans or not being as trans as not being somebody the trans community really wants to see running for politics. Because there was, I believe she's a House member. But she was the first trans woman in uh, the House to be uh, elected in last uh, 2020 election. I have a political article also in the show notes if this topic interests you. Or if you just want to laugh from all of this. Because the idea of her actually winning and being Republican and being now being then the governor of California is extremely funny to me. So I have that article in the show notes in case you want to read that and have a couple laughs. But we'll get to our final topic here. This being the... The 100 day address that Biden made. So I'm going to go ahead and let this video play from the 100 day address. And then I'm going to get in to uh, my notes from this. Uh, get into my thoughts from this and get into a few articles talking about Biden's address and the comments he had from it. But a lot of these addresses, especially the uh, the State of the Union, I think. If I'm remembering right, my mind's getting blank right now. But the addresses that a lot of times these presidents make in front of Congress isn't really, it's just political theater. Nothing really comes from it. It just gives one side a chance to, to say how stupid the other side looks. And it gives the other side a chance to kind of be like, look how good we are. So nothing really comes from it. I just thought it was kind of interesting to talk about. But we're going to play a little bit of this video before we get into articles about it. If full play. There he goes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good to be back. Mitch and Chuck will understand it's good to be almost home. Down the hall. <laughs> anyway, thank you all. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. No president has ever said those words from this podium. No president has ever said those words. And it's about time.
First Lady and her husband. Second gentleman, Chief Justice. Members of the United States Congress and the Cabinet distinguished. So there we go. That was how Biden started his uh, address to Congress within his first 100 days. He goes on to clip a couple of highlights on what he said and whatnot. But really, that's not the fun part. I just thought it was funny what he started it with. Because once again, it appears that President Joseph R. Biden is a little bit more of a virtual signaling president. And gesturing towards the first lady and his wife, and then gesturing towards the vice president being a first ever female vice president. Obviously, that's a uh, being female shouldn't really be the major focus of it. It should just be somebody who's qualified, somebody in position, and having a female there is probably a good thing for a lot of reasons. I don't really, really want to argue against that. That's not really my point. The idea being, do you really have to make an extra point that that is what it is? Just introduce it like regular and just go on. You don't have to virtual signal it. You don't have to just keep showing it. But, again, we always kind of talk about these things when it comes to Biden. So, it's not that uh, uncommon by any means. So, you might be asking, what has Biden done in his first 100 days? This article is by the BBC. Biden's speech to Congress, what he has achieved in 100 days. I'm going to... We'll just get you. But one measure, the Democratic president is going quite well. He and his allies in Congress have passed a coronavirus relief package and they are making progress on a second massive bill. And you could be arguing on if, you, if these bills are ultimately smart because it could cause a economic downturn. It could have massive effects on trying to be able to uh, change the situation, trying to be able to update the situation to something that would be better for the country and ultimately better for everybody else. So just simply printing money and not getting money back into the economy, it could cause a massive crash. And we could be seeing this with the, the, uh, sti with the uh, uh, stimulus bill. Despite talk of bipartisanship, unity, and ending this uncivil war, his legislation has yet to receive any support from Republicans in Congress. His immigration policies have been heavily implemented and are taking hits from the right and left. The path ahead on liberal uh, pro uh, priorities like health care, education, and gun control is uncertain. Biden is more popular than Trump was. Coronavirus, we have the days of coronavirus vaccine, vaccine targeting the economy. He's focusing on trying to support the economy. As immigration has been under attack. The environment, the climate change, he's trying to get to stress more climate change as compared to Donald Trump. Uh, and the BBC article talks about all those stances. I have a couple more videos linked in the channel description if this topic does interest you. I didn't want to talk about all of these because ultimately they repeated themselves a lot. But I wanted to add them just in case if one of these topics did interest you. But this was the main one coming out of this uh, topic. And this is going to be the last article we're going to talk about here. And it was an opinion piece from the CNN. 
and it says Joe Biden is old. Here's why that's a good thing. So one of the big claims going against uh, Biden is his age. He is the oldest president of the United States. And if he were to run again, he would be extremely old as president of the United States. So it is going to be interesting to see what is going to happen from that. And nobody talks about Biden and his age as a good thing. And it's one of the biggest things going against uh, Biden. And you could argue that it was one of the biggest things going against Trump as well. Because it kind of was. But uh, that being said, I was interested to see what CNN was going to have to say about a good reason of the President of the United States being old. If this article will stop. There it goes. Alright, here we go. Some on-air production as we try to get this article up. The best thing about President Joe Biden is that he's old, and that means he can remember a time before, and that before the rightward swing of former President Donald Trump, or even the centrism of former President Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. He remembers a time before small government, prominent former President Ronald Reagan, when Democrats stood before the country and said unbashedly that a big and bold government was exactly what the country needed. And that makes Biden an old-fashioned New Deal liberal in all of the best ways. Joe Biden is not a liberal. But anyway, we'll continue on. The number of times Biden said jobs on Wednesday night over 40 was almost worthy of a parody. But in some ways, it was as if he was making up for what's been missing in government for decades. Americans, particularly in the wake of the pandemic, have suffered significant job loss. And Biden fully believes that job creation is one of the best, most functions of government. Now, one of the big things going against this job claim of Biden is a lot of Biden's jobs that he's implemented are brand new jobs. And brand new jobs in relating to COVID and relating to COVID infrastructure and COVID supplies and whatnot. And once COVID disappears, if it does disappear, uh, and anyway, is those jobs are more, than, more likely to go away. So then, once those jobs are going to go away, there is no need to have those people anymore. So that becomes a very large problem because although he created jobs, they're not going to be jobs that are going to be there for that long. And it is something that needs to be talked about and needs to be debated when it comes to Biden. He also believes green jobs can be part of the solution. The Green New Deal has appealed not just because of the climate change, but because of the potential job opportunities it offers. The last president who pushed solar energy, Jimmy Carter, said Americans were being too self-indulgent and needed to move away from fossil fuels. Uh, During the emergency crisis of the 1970s, when supply shortages led to skyrocketing gas prices, Carter told Americans this directly in a nation that was hard to work, strong families, close-knit communities, and our faith in God. Too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption. However, instead of pushing alternative fuels as economic stimulus and job creation, Carter, the whatever, still despite Carter, we don't want Carter. On Wednesday night, Biden understood that he had to offer and provide something more palatable. He reached back to former President Franklin Franklin D. Roosevelt because he was president uh, who, like Biden, was unofficially a proponent of the low guy. 
I don't like this because Biden has been in politics for a very long time. The idea that he is an outsider and he is an old man that knows what were the bad decisions and knows how to fix it would work if he hadn't been hasn't been in politics for forty whatever years. He's been responsible for so many of the policies that are make America as bad as it is today, especially the justice system. Now, this idea of trying to fix it and end private prisons is a good gesture and something that needs to be done. And there's many other things that Biden has done that suggest that he's trying to make up for former things he did. But the idea that he is going to fix problems because he knows of the bad and he's been alive in the bad is not the case at all. And I thought that that was interesting that that was their major claim about President Biden. And I just don't have any faith that that is really the major reason of Joe Biden and what makes him good as being an old president. We don't need another Joe Biden. The reason Joe Biden was in politics now and is president now is because he is not Donald Trump. And that's basically the biggest reason to why Biden is now president. That is how unlike Donald Trump was. If there's any other person there besides maybe Nixon... <laughs> Or maybe Bill Clinton because of his his impeachment trials. Any other person besides them too, there would probably be president now and it wouldn't be Joe Biden. It was just because of him being so unliked that Joe Biden is now president. And I don't even think that, that is a controversial claim. Uh, that's kind of where I wanted to end today's uh, podcast on and um, all of the topics there. Make sure to check out the Freedom Scoop where you can find individual content creators and uh, talk about similar things. And like the Stephen Ingeramus or the Generational Gap or J. Edgar 101 now on YouTube and many other people you can follow there such as the Freckles and Brit Show and the R-Rated Conservative. They are individual people that have a perspective on news that uh, try to uh, give the every man's perspective on news and whatnot. So I thought I would just go ahead and uh, share that to everybody. But we are now going to uh, finish off this podcast once I raid into my friend here since we are on Twitch. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can definitely let me know uh, what interests you uh, for uh, future topics to talk about. Uh, I'm still debating if I want to put up my uh, if I want to put up my uh, topic streams as a podcast or not. I think that it would be good. I think that it would be insightful. It would just probably take some editing to make it a little bit more of a interesting watch compared to how they are now because if I put them up now they're I don't they're not necessarily bad I just don't know if anyone would want to choose to watch it if you weren't necessarily there uh, live to do so so I don't I think I might put them up I'll, if you have an opinion on that you can definitely let me know you can join my discord that's in the social media page and description of the podcast if you're watching this later as a recording on YouTube Twitch uh, Trovo or whatever else you can definitely let me know there the best place to reach me is probably Twitter and Discord where we can talk about the podcast or whatever else you want to talk about 
But that is all for today. And thank you, everybody. And we are going to go... Uh,